The other day at lunch, our staff was out to lunch to celebrate Pastor Larone's birthday, and Mark and I were, were chatting about our days of skiing, uh, Mammoth Mountain. Anyone been to Mammoth Mountain before? A few of you have been there. It's a very large ski resort out in California, and we were talking about some of the runs we would ski up from the top, the, the runs that are not so safe. They're, they're a little bit dangerous. And I made the comment to Mark, and I said, and we did all this without ski helmets, and yet now everybody wears helmets. And then the discussion, that led to our discussion shifting to speaking about some, some deaths that have occurred, celebrities who have died on the ski slopes, ski slopes and, and and Carol mentioned specifically Natasha Richardson. She was an actress. Some of you may remember her. She was married to uh, Liam Neeson, who has won some awards. And she died from uh, a trauma that she suffered while uh, snow skiing. She actually was on a beginner's run. She wasn't at the top of Mammoth Mountain. She was on a beginner's run and just fell wrong and hit the wrong thing, and she died. But this really ignited a conversation about the need to wear uh, helmets while skiing. And someone said at the table, I don't remember who it was, they made the statement that, that people only seem to pay attention if something happens in regards to a celebrity. And then Mark shared with us another story. He shared with us how the death of the 1950s and 60s starlet Jane Mansfield changed the design of semi-trucks. Some of you might not be aware of that. Jane Mansfield in 1967, along with two other adults and her three children, were driving down the road and they had sprayed, in the night, they had sprayed some, some, some chemical to kill off the mosquitoes in the fields. And they passed through this spray, this chemical spray, and they couldn't see in front of them and they drove right underneath the back end of a semi-truck, shearing off the top portion of the car and immediately killing all the adults in the car. All three children survived with only... Uh, minor injuries, but all three of the adults, including the famous James Mansfield, was, was killed. But because of this accident, the National Transportation or National Highway Traffic Safety Administration made it mandatory for all semi trucks to be fitted with Mansfield bars, which are now known as dot bars. But they are the steel bars that hang down from the back of a semi. Uh, uh, cargo from the back end of their, of their trailers, and they're there because this celebrity died. We live in a celebrity culture. The more famous the person, the larger the impact. The, the, the bigger, the louder, the bolder, the larger the impact. The flashier, the brighter, the glitzier, the more glamorous, the more the impact. If, it, if it's around a celebrity, it seems to impact things in a, in a much different way than if it just happened to one of the rest of us. This worldview, this, this, this mindset has crept into how we do and how we view and how we experience Christmas. Christmas is full of, of glitz and glam. It is bright. It is flashy. It can be loud and it can be bold. And every year, it seems that there's more celebrity built into the concept of Christmas. And celebrity is often the vehicle used to promote Christmas ideas and, and Christmas thoughts. I was at the gym the other, the other night, or about two weeks ago, on, on the treadmill, running on the treadmill, and, 
And there on one of the TVs was Disney's Christmas celebration. They have, I guess, a big program or a musical program every year, and it was their annual Christmas celebration. And there in the shadow of, of Cinderella's castle, I think it was at the Disney in France, all decorated, all, all, all decked out, were all these celebrities singing all these various songs, a mix of songs. There were songs about Santa Claus, and there was songs about a girl's backside and her body parts, but I'm not sure what that has to do with Christmas, but it was there. And then there were songs, yes, even about Jesus. Oh, holy night, they sang. Jesus, Santa Claus, and body parts, just part of the smorgasbord and the splendor that is a celebrity Christmas. The message is in there in the midst of all the other, all the other things. And in the midst of, of, of everything that kind of Christmas has become, I am afraid that something, one of the most important concepts of Christmas can actually get lost and may in fact get lost in this journey. If you'll open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, where Donna read from it just a minute ago, but we'll check it out again. Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then right before Colossians. Go eat pizza chad if you ever need to remember what those books are. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, beginning in verse 5, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, the Bible says, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of uh, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we examine the life of Jesus, if we look at the various aspects of the life of Jesus, what we'll see is that Jesus' life at every turn, this, this, this man, Jesus, that we worship, at every turn, he tried in every way to flee the craze of celebrity. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. We read this. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, the leopard came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See that you tell no one. I've done this great thing for you that will get lots of attention, but see that you tell no one. Jump over to Mark, the next book in the Bible, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. And Jesus, again departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looked up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, O Ephetat, that is, that is be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. And then he commanded them that, sh uh, commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded him, the more widely 
they proclaimed it. Jesus does this great thing, and, and he actually does a couple things here. He, he pulls first the man aside that, that he's going to do this miracle. He says, I'm not going to do this in front of everyone else so that everyone can see it and so that everyone can, 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 can give me glory for this. He pulls the man aside, and, he's, and, and then after he heals him, those that did observe it, he said, now make sure you don't tell anyone about this. Don't tell anyone about this. Jesus was a man that avoided the craze of celebrity. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, we read another story. You read about Jesus feeding the 5,000, and of course, this, this stirred everybody up, and everyone was, was amazed by what Jesus had done, that, that he had fed the 5,000, but, but Jesus noticed something uh, in the crowd, and in, and in John chapter 6, sorry, I'm one book behind. John chapter 6, in verse 15, we read this. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about, those are all the people that saw this miracle that he did, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. At every turn in Jesus' life, we see a man who is, has every potential to be the greatest celebrity ever trying to turn away from that celebrity at every turn. Jesus said many things that were incredible, many things that were challenging. And the Bible tells us that sometimes these challenging things that, that Jesus said uh, impacted those who followed him. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 6, saying in John chapter 6 and verse 60 this, that therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, this is something Jesus, Jesus had just said something challenging. And the Bible says, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And then jumping down to verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Think about that for a second. In this age and culture in which we live, in which every significant leader in our country tries almost every significant leader in our country, tries to parse what they say very clearly. Some of you got that. Thank you. Almost every significant leader tries to parse what they say. And, and if you say just the wrong thing, most of the time people will try to, try to roll it back. They said it just wrong. You said this. This wasn't a, There's an apology issue. There's a statement. Jesus said what he said, and it tells us that, that at that point, many departed from him because what he said was too difficult for them to handle. He didn't try to chase after them and say, oh, this is what I really meant, or this is what I was trying to say. No. This is who he was. He didn't seek after the celebrity. And the Bible tells us, or gives us indication, that the, by the time of all of Jesus' ministry, he had grown his church in Jerusalem, whether up or down, however you want to describe it, to a mere 120 people. Hardly a celebrity pastor, hardly a, a, a mega church success. Jesus was the anti-celebrity. He was the anti-celebrity. The one who we put in the picture of celebrity for, for this season and, and everything we do to, to, to kind of gussy him up and to sanitize him and to make him brighter and shinier. And yet Jesus was the anti-celebrity. 
Even the Bible tells us that his appearance was such that it would not attract anyone's attention. If you turn to Isaiah 53, one of the great prophecies in the Bible about the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 2, we read this. For he shall grow up before him, this is from the New King James Version, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In the NIV, it reads this way. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, verse 3, and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Even the way Jesus looked was to avoid the attraction of, of celebrity, And this humble, low estate, this humble, low estate of Jesus was indicated and was initiated at the very beginning, at his birth. So turn to Luke chapter 2, a story that we read at Christmas and are so familiar with. Luke chapter 2. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this Christ. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is the Christmas story we read and we know so well. A very humble beginning. And you may say, wait a second, that doesn't sound very humble to me. An angel choir announcing the birth of Jesus. That doesn't sound very quiet. But I ask you, who did that angel choir attract? It didn't attract anyone beyond the shepherds. And the, and the angel choir sang to a group of shepherds. Now, we've seen shepherds in, 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 in nativity plays and all these things, and they come in looking so nice and, 
and, and wonderful and clean. But the shepherds were not on the high end of the social status totem pole in this day and age. They were the low. They were the lowly shepherds. It was a very humble beginning. And Jesus was born in a place called Bethlehem, a place that has become famous and is, and is uh, idealized in our mind. But it was a place that was barely a blip on the map. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us from the English Standard Version, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratat, who are too little, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from the ancient of days, a place to, that is too little to be among the clans of Judah. Just a tiny little blip on the map that no one cares about. I've told you all about my youngest son being born in a city called Los Banos. And they took the little thing off so that they would no longer say Los Banos. They, wanted, they didn't want to call their town anymore the bathroom. And so they tried to change it just a little bit so it would be the Baz or whatever it was. This, this is literally a nothing city. No offense to any of you that maybe have grown up in Los Banos or those that may be watching from there. But it, is a, it, is a, it literally is a blip on the map. It has no value in, in, in my mind, we used to drive through it every year, stop at Taco Bell, go to the bathroom. It was. It was a place for Taco Bell and the bathroom. They all went together right there in Los Banos. Until one day, my wife went into labor as we were driving through, and we had a child there. And suddenly, this, this city is a wonder to my life. That's really Bethlehem. That's Bethlehem. Folks, we only love Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is a celebrity city only because of the birth. But it was a nothing place. Jesus, everything about him was, was a series of humility and humbleness. Why all of this? Why all this? Why was Jesus born in a cave surrounded by animals? We've made it look very clean and nice, but it wasn't. Why was Jesus born to, to a virgin who was considered scandalous amongst the time. We've made it look all clean and nice, and Mary's always very beautiful, and there's a light shining above her and a glow about her. Why all of this? Ellen White wrote this in The Desire of Ages, page 43. The king of glory stooped low to take humanity. Rude and forbidding were his earthly surroundings. His glory was veiled that the majesty of his outward form might not become an object of attraction. He shunned all outward display. She says, you see, riches, worldly honor, and human greatness can never save a soul from death. Jesus purposed that no attraction of an earthly nature should call men to his side. The Luke 2 story has been, has been made a grand and a beautiful and a glorious and attractive event. When I was a kid, we used to go to this place called Crystal Cathedral. You've heard, some of you heard of Crystal Cathedral, uh, Robert Schuler's old church out there in, in uh, Irvine, California, in the Anaheim area. And we used to go every year to the Crystal Cathedral. And, and it was the coolest, most spectacular Christmas event ever. They had live camels, I mean big ones, big camels, and all the animals come walking in and everything. And, and everything is so great, and the actors are perfect, and the baby is always the best-looking baby ever born. Most babies aren't that good-looking when they're born. I mean, my, my kids, they, you know, they looked funny. They looked, it's been rough. And, and, 
but, but man, most, you know, but this baby was the best looking baby and, and these, these angels come flying in on these wires and their wings are huge and the, and the music is so spectacular and, and they sold tickets and it always sold out multiple shows. I'm sure they made lots and lots of money off of this, off of Jesus on this thing. It's all so grand and so spectacular. That's the Luke, that's the Luke 2 story now, but But not so when Jesus was born. Again, desire of ages. Jesus proposed that no attraction of an earthly nature should call men to his side. Only the beauty of heavenly truth must draw those who would follow him. Would draw those who follow him. Only the beauty of heavenly truth must draw those who follow him. Now, I love the lights. Every year we go drive through neighborhoods trying to find lights and see all the beauty. I love the music. I love all the special music that we have at this season. I think, I think it's, it's wonderful. I love, I love this. I even like these poinsettias that are keeping me in place so I can't walk to the edge of the stage and scare you when I almost fall off. But thinking about all this, and only the beauty of heavenly truth must draw those who would follow him, I must ask the question to me and to you. What if it was just Jesus and nothing else? Would the truth of Jesus coming to this earth be enough? Would would Jesus still be exciting enough, just Jesus alone? Would Christmas still be your favorite season if you didn't have... The singers singing, oh, holy night, and here comes Santa Claus and something about their body parts in front of the Cinderella castle. Would Christmas still be your favorite season if it was just Jesus came to this earth and nothing else? It is a question worth asking. Or has all the celebrity caught us to and And we need Jesus and more in order to really have Christmas be special. To really have this season be special. Do we need Jesus and more to really get the world to to follow after him and to, to love him and to serve him? Do we ourselves need Jesus and more to really follow after him and and love him and, and serve him? At the beginning of Beatlemania, some of you may remember Beatlemania. I don't, I wasn't born yet, but some of you may. The Beatles met with the Reverend Robert Gibbons. It was the very beginning of Beatlemania, and the, and, and the Reverend, Reverend Robert Gibbons met with the Beatles because he wanted them to, to record a version of the Christmas hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. He wanted them to record a version of, of this hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. And he told them, Such a recording might provide the Church of England with the very shot in the arm it needs. We need Jesus and we need the Beatles. No wonder John Lennon would at at one point declare that the Beatles would eventually be more popular than Jesus. It is what the church had taught him. Jesus isn't enough. We need you, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. 
to record this song too, to wake up our church. Jesus and the Beatles. So what about you and me? What about us? Is Jesus enough or is it we need Jesus in all of this? Do we need Jesus in all the sanitized versions of the story? I want to encourage you maybe this week to ponder this question. Take some time, read through Isaiah 53. Read Luke 2, not in the context of how we see it, with the perfect baby, the perfect virgin, the perfect shepherds, the perfect Joseph, the perfect soft music in the background, the perfect glow behind them. But think about the Luke 2 story and the reality of what it was. Think about Bethlehem and the reality of what it was. A nothing place, a blip on the map. Think about that grand angel choir that really only attracted a few people. Read Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, about the humility of Christ that would lead him to obedience, even the obedience of death on a cross. And then ponder this question. Is the humble Jesus enough if all of this was gone? Is the humble Jesus enough for Christmas to still be amazing to you? Is the humble Jesus, without any celebrity, enough to change your heart and to change your life and to change my heart and to change my life? Jesus and Jesus alone. Is he enough?